Wow, can you believe that's uh, three years ago today, uh, my, uh, Hurricane Michael hit, and uh, it, was, it was, I don't think it's a coincidence, we had planned this without even thinking about it, that we're going to talk about serving today, and I just wanted to say as we begin this conversation today, thank you so much to all of you at all of our churches for coming together so quickly after the hurricane hit and just making a huge difference in our communities. Uh, you really showed our communities that you were for them, uh, thinking of all the resources that were put through our, each of our campuses, all of the um, money that was given out, um, all the people that were helped. Uh, you guys even helped in the middle of all this chaos to uh, build out a section on the Mariana campus where we housed people from Mennonite Disaster Group that went out in our communities and worked on over four or 500 homes over a two-year period of time. I'm pretty amazing when you think about um, you know, the impact that you were able to have as a church. And so we just wanted to say at the beginning, uh, since it is the, the day is the three-year anniversary of that, but we're also talking about being for our communities and um, serving today. I just want to say thank you for being that kind of church. And I uh, just want to remind us again of how important it is. And so if this is your first time with us today, uh, we are in week three of what we call our season of generosity. It's something that we do every year. And um, we just kind of pause toward the end of every year and just remind ourselves, or the reason that we do this is because we believe that everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. And, and so what we believe as a church is because they matter to God, then they really should matter to those of us who say that we are followers of Jesus Christ and say that we love Jesus. As a matter of fact, here, here's what we absolutely believe as a church family, and that is this. It is impossible to love God and not love the people that God loves. 
So because of that, about every year about this time, we just collectively come together and we pause in our conversations of what we call our regular teaching series. And we come together and we say, we're going to do a series that we're just going to remind us that we need to stop and we need to rethink and we need to get better at loving people together as the body of Christ. Because see, what we've discovered over the years is this, is that most people don't really have a problem with Jesus they have a problem with people who say they follow Jesus. Now, here's why this is a big deal. Because the perception of most people, and this has been the perception for a long time, most people, they have a problem with people who follow Jesus. So therefore, most people don't have an interest in God. Because here's why, how that works. We, as a church, as churches, we make up the body of Christ in this world. And so people's attitude toward us as churches really determines often their attitude toward God. And so we believe, because of the teachings of Jesus, because of the teachings of the Apostle Paul and some of the other apostles, that we as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to love others like God loved us. So therefore, what we ultimately believe is the church should be known for what and who it is for, not for what or who is against, which is what most churches are known for, for who they're against or, or what they're against. Which means this, a church for everyone has to be full of people who are for everyone. Which means a church for everyone cannot be against anyone. And I know for some of you, you go, yeah, but I don't approve of everything people do. You, you cannot approve of someone and still, or something somebody does, you don't have to approve of sin to still love them and be for them. Because we want them to know that we're for them so, that God under, so they can understand that God is for them. Now, the way that we get better at this, the way that we get better at loving, the way that we get better at showing people that we are for them is inspired by something that the Apostle Paul told to Timothy when he was mentoring Timothy to train him to pastor the church at Ephesus. And here's what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says, I want you, Timothy, this is Paul talking to Timothy, and it becomes relevant to us. He says, command those who are rich in this present world to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, some of you, when you read this for the very first time, you're thinking, absolutely, those rich people in this world, they should be more generous and they should be willing to share. And the reason that we think this way is because all of us are thinking, yeah, those rich people should do that, but we're thinking, I'm not rich. See, the truth is, none of us feel rich. To us, rich is the other family. Rich is the other person that we work with. Rich is always the person that has more. But we were reminded in week one of this conversation we started two weeks ago that compared to most people in this world, most of us are rich in this present world. In fact, we said if you have a household income of 35000 or more, you're in the top 5% of the richest people in the world, 95% of the world is poorer than you. If you have a household income of 20,000 or more, you're in the top 10% of the richest people of the world. So 90% of the people are poorer than you. But here's the thing. We don't feel rich because we always compare ourselves to people that are richer than us. But there are, for many of you, for most of you, I would say, that at least 90, for many of you, 95% of the people in the world are poorer than you. See, that's the elusive thing about re being rich. The elusive thing is because you don't feel like you're rich, you don't practice being rich 
toward others. And you know, that's not just true in our day. It was true when the Apostle Paul was mentoring Timothy about 2,000 years ago. So last week, what we did is we focused on the generosity part of being rich toward others. And we asked all of you at all of our churches, we asked for 100% participation because it wasn't about mount. It was about participation. We said, we want you to give big, as big as you can, in helping nonprofits in our communities to go further faster. Because they are meeting needs that nobody else is meeting in our communities. And so we as a church years ago, we said, you know, we're not going to pioneer everything. We're going to partner with people that are doing a better job than what we could do. And so oftentimes people go, why don't you have a food pantry? Why don't you have a clothes closet? Those kind of things. And we go, because there are people who can do a better job than we are. And we're going to partner with them by giving them resources and, and sending people from our church family to serve with them. So if you haven't participated yet in our four giving that we did, the giving offering that we did last week. We hope that you'll jump in because every penny that is given to the four fund um, over this four-week period is going to be every bit of us given away. And so in a couple weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate the impact that you've made. You will not want to miss that. And if you say, oh, I missed last week and I didn't know we were doing that, so you can go to our app and you can go to the four fund on the giving part and you can give whatever amount you want to give or you can go to our website and you can give there. So we just really want you to be able to be part of giving in a big way, to be able to show love by giving, being rich and giving back to our community. Now, today we're gonna to talk about the other part of Paul's instructions in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, and that's the do good part. And I want you to notice when we get there, he says, I don't want you just to do good. He says, I want you to be rich in good deeds. Again, notice what the apostle Paul tells Timothy in verse 17 of chapter 6, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world. We've already established that pretty much every one of us are rich in this present world. He says, so what do you tell rich people to do? To do good. But then he kind of pauses and goes, oh, don't just tell them to do good like average people do good. He says, no, I want them to do good so much good that they could be called rich in good deeds. He says, tell them to do good. No, tell them to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Now, here's what I know. When you came on our campus this day, you probably noticed there were some tables or some booths set up in, in your lobby or outside your building. And what we've done is we have invited some of the best, what we believe are nonprofits from our communities to join us today because we are so grateful for the way that they are making an impact in our communities. They're making our communities a better place. And so at the end of the day, we're going to show you how you can be rich in good deeds by serving with them to help them go further faster. But first, before we get there, I want to talk about what it really means to be rich in good deeds. Because here's the thing. For those of us who have been maybe raised in this culture, especially the church culture, do, doing good like average people do good, it doesn't seem that unusual. Now, here's why. The whole idea that everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not, it really is not a real new idea for most church people. I mean, even those of you who might kind of hang out with church, but you don't really consider yourself a Christ follower, you, you still would assume that a good God would care about people, right? But here's the thing you have to understand. In the ancient world, when the Apostle Paul was writing this, when Jesus showed up on the scene, in the ancient world, the idea that a God would care about people, that was a brand new concept. 
See, outside the Jewish people, no one had this monotheistic kind of worldview that there was this one God. They didn't have that. No other culture believed that. No other group of people believed that. In fact, any other culture, for example, the Romans or the Greeks, they, they believed that there were many gods. And they were taught that these gods, these many gods, some of them hundreds and thousands of gods, different cultures had so many gods. They were taught that none of these gods cared about people. In fact, they taught that these gods manipulated people, that these gods took advantage of people. So in their minds, if the gods didn't care about people, then people didn't have to care about people either in order to please their gods. And so as a result, as we talked about last week, nobody cared about other people. So human life, it was devalued by everyone. In fact, we said that compassion, it was seen as weakness. And whoever had the most power, who had the most wealth, those were the people that made the rules. And they were only considered valuable because of what they had. But nobody in this time period, they believed that all people, all humans had intrinsic value. So it's a brand new idea that Jesus comes and introduces in this world when he shows up and says, listen, everybody matters to God. Everybody has value in, God, in the eyes of God. Everybody has dignity because they're made in the image of God. And that just was not normal in the first century. And here's the thing. That, that message was not normal in the first century, and that message is not natural for us in the 21st century. But see, when Jesus showed up, he showed up to change the way that we view and the way that we value life. And part of, and really is part of the reason why religious leaders of that day, why they clashed and why they were so much at odds with Jesus. Because see, the religious leaders, even of that day, the Jewish religious leaders, they believed they could do things to please God. It was all about what they did to please God. But then they believed they could go over here and treat people any way they wanted. And Jesus comes along and goes, no, you've got it all wrong. That's not how God feels about it. He, he basically came and said, if you want to love God, you've got to love the people that God loves. He comes along and says, listen, it's not just about you and God being right with each other. He says, no, it's about how you are treating the people to the left and to the right of you. They matter. See, he says, if you want to honor God, you got to honor God's people. If you want to value God, then you got to value the people that are all around you. But here's the thing. When he talked this, it really literally shocked the people that Jesus would widen the circle and so that being rich in good deeds should include everybody. In fact, what we're going to discover today is there's this specific motivation that Jesus also taught in this for how we should live out being rich and truly being good at being generous and willing to share and, and doing good. Because the thing is, most of those people had ulterior motives whenever they were good to somebody. And here's the thing about this motivation. This motivation, it is still so different from our culture and how we give and how we serve and how we love. So just to kind of build a foundation for you, I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 5. If you got your Bibles, look with me at Matthew chapter 5, and let's begin in verse 43. Here's what Jesus says. Here's the new standard that he came to set. Notice what he says, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this opening statement of this conversation, when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, basically what he's saying is this, I, I'm, I'm changing something. I'm setting a brand new standard from what you have thought, from what you have been taught 
in the past. Literally, he says, I, I'm inviting you to think a different way. I am inviting you to think differently when it comes to how you treat people. In fact, this whole line, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, it was a very common statement in the first century. It was literally a principle that many of the Jewish people, especially the religious leaders, live by because they taught it. And Jesus comes along and he basically does something very interesting. He goes, no, this is a myth. This is a lie. See, in the Jewish scriptures, they, they would have said, oh yeah, which would have been the Old Testament, it says love your neighbor. But here's the thing that Jesus comes along and saying, yeah, it says love your neighbor, but nowhere does it say to hate your enemies. But what had happened is the religious people had come along and they had twisted and they had misused this statement, love your neighbor, so much. And they were saying, oh, you can treat people however you want. So Jesus jumps in and he says, hey, there is this assumption that you have made. This is why you now have this statement. This statement is wrong. He says, there's this assumption that you're responsible to treat people or love people that you like, but you can treat people you don't like any way that you want to treat them. And he said, that is so wrong. He said, that is wrong. Now, here's the thing. Before we judge them for twisting this statement and adding and hate your neighbor to it or your enemy to it, before we judge them, if the truth were told, haven't we made that our statement from time to time? Haven't we added and hate your enemy? Haven't we? Because see, if we're all honest, we have all thought at some point, there is no way that I'm going to do good to that person who has treated me so bad. I am not going to be kind to them. I mean, now you may have never exactly said it this way. Oh, I'm going to love my neighbor and hate my enemy. You may have never said that out loud, but you've thought it. You've thought, there is no way I'm going to do good for them after the way they treated me. I mean, there's no way I'm going to go out of my way for them. I mean, I'm just done with them because, I mean, look at what they've done to me. In fact, Jesus, he, he knows that about all of us. So he takes this to a whole nother level. Notice verse 44. He says, but I tell you, he said, you said it this way, but I'm telling you, and this phrase again is code for what you've been told is wrong. And you may say, yeah, I heard it in the synagogue. Jesus goes, but they were wrong. And you say, yeah, but that's what they taught us, the scripture said. And Jesus says, you were taught wrong. Notice what Jesus says is the new standard and the new motivation. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So let's just be honest. <laughs> who would do this? Do you do this? Would you do this? Like, would you go out of your way to love people who hate you? Would you go out of your way to pray for people who hurt you or try to hurt you? I mean, think about it. Let's just be honest. Let's be real honest. Most of us, we barely pray. We, we barely pray for our friends, much less pray for our enemies or those people that antagonize us or try to hurt us. I mean, think about this. This is an easy concept to understand, but this is so hard to live about. I mean, think about that person or that group of person who has hurt you, who, who was against you. They hurt you, they tried to hurt you, they would hurt you if they could hurt you. Do you just naturally go, oh, I, I'm gonna love them? No, some of you, are, you're going, I'm changing jobs. I can't stand these people. I'm getting out of this place. All these horrible people. 
You know, some of you, you're going to move out of your neighborhood because, I mean, you got these horrible people. You, you don't even pray for them. You're just like, I'm making a change in my career, making a change in where I live. I mean, like changing everything because you wouldn't even think of praying for them. So who does that? Because it's not natural. Now, what would happen if you did start praying for them? Let me just tell you what would happen. Over time, your attitude toward them would change because you would start seeing them like Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean you still wouldn't have to put boundaries in place, but you would start seeing them like Jesus, and you, you would not be reacting. You would be proactive in the way that you treat them. And we look at this and we go, man, this is too hard. You, you, you don't know what my enemy has done to me. You, you don't know. You have no, they didn't nail you to the cross, did they? They didn't beat you with stripes 39 times, you know, I mean, with a, with a whip 39 times, right? And they're like, and Jesus still said, hey, Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. You guys, this is just too hard. See, this is Jesus' point. This isn't natural. This is supernatural. This isn't what average people do. This is only what true followers of Jesus who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God do. See, average people, they give to or they serve people who are like them. Or, or they give to or serve people because of what it gives back to us or what we get back. And here's the thing. It's not necessarily wrong to serve that way. I mean, some of you, you're like my wife and I, Melody and I, we, we sponsor children in other countries. And, um, you know, we've done that for years. I mean, ever since our first child was born, we thought, oh, let's sponsor another child. So we started that process. And, man, we, we do that. Because we know we can see the benefit. We get letters. We get cards. We, we can see the benefit in those kids' lives, those kind of things. But he, here's the thing. It also does something for us, right? We feel the benefit. Or, or we go on mission trips because we know to some degree, hey, man, it's going to change us more. It's going to change them. I mean, we, we know it's going to benefit the people we go serve. How do we know? Because they tell us over and over again when we show up, oh, my goodness, you're making such a difference in our lives. Some of you, you serve in our church. Because you, you know it's not only going to benefit those children or those students or those adults, but you feel the benefit. You feel the fruit. And here's the thing. That's not wrong. Jesus would show up and say to you, hey, that's good. Keep doing that. It's always good to give and to serve. But what Jesus came to introduce into this world is a whole nother level of love that calls us to give and serve. It's a, it's a motivation of some kind of supernatural love that only the Holy Spirit can give you with no, don't miss this, with no expectation of anything in return. And what Jesus is telling us here, when he says, listen, I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly Father in heaven. He's literally saying, listen, you need the supernatural power of God to work if, if you're going to do this kind of love in your life. This isn't basic level kind of love. This is graduate PhD level kind of love that Jesus is calling to us to. This is a supernatural and filling of the Spirit of God. Because see, you can only love this way if you have the fruit of the Spirit of God in your life. Because the fruit of the Spirit of God is love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and meekness and self-control. And you can't be filled with joy around your enemies. And you can't have patience with them. And you can't have self-control. And you can't be meek if you're not filled with the Spirit of God in your life. And here's the thing. One of the greatest evidence of the filling of the Spirit of God in your life is that you're filled with the fruit of the Spirit, not that you have certain gifts of the Spirit. Because see, some of you call yourselves filled with the Spirit of God, but you trigger every time somebody does something that you don't like. 
and you're ready to quit, you're ready to walk away, you're ready to, you know, fire somebody, you're ready to move out of a neighborhood, and you say you're a spirit-filled Christ follower, and Jesus would go, no, no, because a spirit-filled Christ follower, they, they have love, and they have joy, and they have peace, and they have patience, and they have gentleness, and they have meekness, and they have self-control. And so Jesus says, this takes supernatural power. And so when Jesus says this, he comes along and he says, listen, when you love and you treat and you value your enemies this way, and for some of you, all it takes is for your spouse to do something, your children to do something, some of your coworkers to do it, and immediately they change from a friend. They could have been for you for 10, 15, 20 years, and immediately they turn to an enemy in your mind. That's how little the Spirit of God is controlling our lives. That's how minimal we're following Jesus. And Jesus says, listen, the only way, the only way that you will be called children of your Father in heaven is when you love like Jesus loves. The only way. And that means you love everybody. And you have patience and you have gentleness and you have kindness and you have meekness and you have self-control. And you have joy in the process. Jesus, it's like Jesus saying, this kind of love, this love that loves your enemies, this love that prays for those that persecute you or antagonizes you. Think about that person at work that antagonizes you. Think about that person in your neighborhood that antagonizes you. Did you talk to other people about that person before you talked to Jesus for a month? Jesus says, listen, my followers, they pray for these people because it changes their hearts. See, when you start praying for those that persecute you, antagonize you, when you start loving those people that you quote are your enemies that are against you, that hurt you, that's when people go, oh, you know what's different about that person? That's a child of God. That's one of God's kids. See, this is why our communities hate church people so much. Because see, we, as we're going to see in just a moment, we're no different than anybody else. Because Jesus gives an example of how God shows up and loves everybody. He loves everybody the same. Notice this. Look at this. Verse 45. He says, here's how your father loves you, just in case you don't get it. He says, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, because God is love. God is good to the evil and the good. God expresses his grace to the righteous and the unrighteous. God lavishes love on people every day who don't love him back. God values people every day who don't value them back. What do we do when a person doesn't love us back? Oh, we get angry at them. Well, they're not appreciative. They have no gratitude. What do we do when we don't feel like that we're valued by other people? We get so mad at them. I'm done with that person. They don't value me enough. Listen. You are not above your father in heaven. He says, this is what your father in heaven does. So you, if you're a follower of Jesus, go do what he does. And you may think, I still don't know. I, I don't know about this. Well, Jesus says, okay, let's just get more honest about this. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? 
This was Jesus' way of saying, think about the worst person, that person that is really your enemy. Like, they're, like you, you just can't stand the thought of this person. Who, who is that person? Here's what he's saying. Most of the time, that person will treat other people well if they're treated well by someone. He says, that's not extraordinary. E- even the people, like the lowest rank on the totem pole, the tax collectors in that, in that culture, they, they were like the nobody of nobodies. And Jesus is saying, listen, most people, whether they believe in God or not, man, they're going to do kind things for people if people return kindness and good. Everybody loves somebody or does kind things for people who are grateful and return it. So here's the thing. If I only love those who love me, he says, I'm not doing any better than people, you know, who, who don't love Christ, who are not Christ followers. I, I'm really he's saying, you're just like everybody else. And see, that's the problem with the church. Because our world looks at us and we got the same bad attitude in work. I mean, we have no joy. We have no peace. We have no self-control. I mean, we're moving. We're quitting our jobs. We're angry. We're getting divorces. We're angered our kids. I mean, it's like, it's just terrible. And they're like, you're just like everybody else. I, I don't see you loving people differently. So Jesus says, listen, if I'm nice to people who are nice and helpful back to me, you don't need God's help to do that. Notice he goes on. He doesn't quit here. And if you greet only your own people, oh, there you go. How many of you ever said at work, got home from work, said to your spouse, them people at work ain't my people. They just ain't my people. How many of you in neighborhood go, these, these ain't my people? Are you in a store in the town in which you live? You go, these are my people. How many times, I mean, we've all said this. Notice what Jesus says. He says, when this is your mentality, it's so far away from the mentality of a true follower of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. And if you greet only those, your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? See, those people that you're so against, those pagans, those people, he goes, yeah, that's what they do. Like, you don't need God's strength to greet your own people. Everybody pretty much does that, Christ follower or not. Jesus says, listen, a follower of Jesus, man, there's a whole other level. There's a whole other challenge. Like, if you do this, it's kind of like Jesus is going, don't even call yourself my follower if this is how you're going to be. If you only are kind to the people that are good to you, if you only greet people that your own people, then Jesus, he gives us this challenge. Notice verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I do not want you to miss what Jesus is saying. He is not saying perfect in the sense that you never make any mistakes. He's not saying sense perfect in the sense that, oh, I get up every morning, I read my Bible, and I pray, and I journal, and every night I come home, and I listen to me a podcast or something on the Bible, and I pray, and I journal again. No, 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 no. What's the context that he's talking about? He's talking about in context of relationship with people. This is perfect in the sense that you treat people like your heavenly father treats people. Remember, Jesus, he causes the sun to rise on the good and the evil. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. And as we said, God is good. He's good to the evil and the good. 
God expresses his grace to the righteous and the unrighteous. God lavishes his love on people who do not love him back. When's the last time you lavished your love on people who will never love you back? People in your community, people in your workplace. That you're just loving to them. You're patient because that's what love is. It's patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Think about that. When's the last time you lavish love? See, God values people who don't value him. That, that's what it means to be godly. That's what it means to be Christ-like. See, when I grew up, I would hear this thing about be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And people say, you need to be godly. And the way they describe being godly was all these rules and all these regulations and all these rituals. And I'm going, that's too boring. I'm not sure I want to be godly. But godly actually means, when he says be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, it actually means that you love and you value people the way your heavenly father does. See, godly means that you do for those who will never do for you. Godly means you do for those who have antagonized you. You pray for them. You love them. God, God means, or, or godly means that you love your enemies. You pray for those people. Let, let me say it this way. We love God by caring for people God loves. Don't miss that. We love God for caring for people that God loves. So God says, this is what Jesus literally came. This is why this is so radical. Jesus shows up and says, listen, your relationship with me is no longer based on what you do here only. It's not that you don't commit any big atrocities or moral sins or failures. It's not that. It's not that you read your Bible and you pray and you communicate with me. He said, it's not just that. He says, it's this as well. He says, when we love God or we love God when we love people the way God loves people. We love God when we serve people the way God serves people, whether God matters to them or not. See, we love God for caring for people who cannot do anything for us, or maybe they wouldn't do anything for us if they could, or maybe they would even hurt us if they could. See, we love God by loving every person because every person you'll ever lock eyes with is somebody that matters deeply to your heavenly father. That person that just triggers you all the time, puts you in a spin, I mean, enrages you. Do you know how much God loves them? God loves them so much that if they were the only person on planet earth, Jesus Christ would have came to this earth, died on the cross, and taken the spiritual punishment on himself and the wrath and the anger of God on himself to redeem and restore that person. That's how much they matter to God. He created them. He died to redeem them. That's how much they matter. So we love God by loving every person that God loves. And you know what that means? That, that means we love that down and out person who everybody goes, oh, you don't need to do anything for them because they brought that on themselves. I mean, they don't deserve anything. They brought that on themselves. So we love them. But you know what it also means? It means we love that wealthy, powerful person who people say exploit others to get where they're at, to have their wealth. So we love on both ends, but then we love everybody in between. Now, that's not saying you don't create a few boundaries, but you love them. You let them know that you're for them because we want them to understand that God is for them. And listen, here is my prayer for our church family. It is this. That though we may be criticized for what we believe, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, 
There is no other way to a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, that Jesus, he was God in human flesh. He lived, he died, he rose again so that we could have a relationship with God. He took God's wrath and his anger on himself. So they, they may criticize us for being so narrow-minded in what we believe. We should be famous for how we love others. We should be famous as a church for that. Listen, every church should be famous for how we love. We should be famous as followers of Christ for how we love our enemies. We should be famous for how we pray for those who persecute us and antagonize us. We should be famous for how we serve those who will never do anything for us or value us back in any way. Because here's what I've learned, and this is why churches have no influence in our world anymore, and that is this. When we start picking and choosing who we're going to love and who we're not going to love, and we start declaring on social media about this group of people and this group of people and this group of people about how they're so wrong and we're so right and all those kind of things, when we start picking on and we start picking and choosing, our capacity for compassion for others and our compassion for generosity is absolutely going to shrink. Don't miss that. So that's one reason we're spending our time reminding ourselves that we are for our communities every year. We're for them because Jesus is for them and we are followers of Jesus. See, it's a reminder that we're called to do, that, that we're called, this is how we're called to love. And I'm just gonna tell you something. We need God's strength and we need the power, empowering of the Holy Spirit to do it. See, we so desperately want our churches to be known for being rich and doing good. Not just average people doing good, but rich and doing good in our communities because we're convinced that reflects the heart of our Heavenly Father. And so one of the ways that we try to do that every year is we partner with nonprofits and other organizations that are already doing extraordinary work um, in our communities to help people, and we just want to help them go further. So here, here's the thing. We go out and we try to find the best people doing the best work to help them any way that we can. So today what we've done is we've invited several of nonprofits from each of our communities and all of your churches to come. And they're going to come on the stage in just a moment. We're going to introduce them. We're going to tell what they do. And then we're going to tell you who they serve. And each of these organizations are here because they have been serving our communities and doing a major job, amazing job, I should say it that way. But each of these organizations are here because they have serving opportunities for every one of you, for any, no matter what your age. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna introduce them and then we're gonna dismiss you in just a moment after I pray. And then you're gonna go out in your lobbies or under your patio, wherever you're at, have them set up and people do not rush out of here. Ask questions and sign up to serve because we wanna challenge every one of you. This is again, 100% participation. We wanna challenge every one of you to find one place where you'll serve at least one time between now and the end of the year. And here's why this matters so much. I mean, think about it. We're only asking, I mean, like Jesus, I mean, he gave it all. He just served and served and served. We're just saying, hey, listen, now between now and the end of the year, can you find four or five hours, you know? to serve at least one time. Now, here's why this matters so much. We've reminded you of this for the past two weeks. You are the church. I, I hear Christians, people who call themselves Christians or Christ followers, always complaining about their church, man. I wish our church would do this. I wish our church would do that. I wish our church would do this. Let me just tell you, you need to look in the mirror because you are the church. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you're the church. The pastor's not the church. The staff is not the church. Listen, we together individually are the church. And what we individually do is what our church does as, as a large group. 
In fact, I believe this so much that some years ago I wrote this statement and we kind of lost it a little bit. I think it's time to remind us that we're saying it every time, we're, every week in this four series, just remind us. So if you're a first time guest here, just follow along and read this out loud because everybody else is, because they're going to read with passion because this is the third week. They're starting to believe this now, right? All of you at our churches, Chipley, Bluntstown, Marion, we're all believing this, right? Here we go, because Jesus said it. Let's read it together. I am the church. Let me just stop right there. Okay, I got to say this. Not the person beside you, not all the people around you. This is not for them. This is about you look in the mirror, right? This is, you're not saying this to everybody else and thinking about everybody else. Because what's going to happen is when we talk about serving or reaching out or giving and loving, whatever level you do that at is what our churches will do. That's what will happen. So let's start over. Ready? Everybody ready? I am the church. What I am, the church is. When I serve, the church serves. When I reach out, the church reaches out. When I give, the church gives. When I love, the church loves. And when I don't, the church doesn't. I am the church. Please hear what we're saying. Our church will only serve at the level that you serve. Our church will only be as rich in being willing to share and do good as each one of us individually do. So our question to you today is will you at least between now and the end of the year give two to four hours to serve? Like pick one of these places and and do something for people who cannot or will not ever do anything in return for you. Listen, we love God. Don't miss this. The tangible way that you show proof of your love for God is not by reading your Bible. It's not by praying. It's not showing up at church. It's not all those things that we've done in our little check boxes. The tangible way that we show that we love God is by caring for people that God loves, and that is everybody. So let's show up big in our communities in the coming week, and let's be rich in doing good deeds. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to introduce our guests to you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity. I thank you for this opportunity for your Holy Spirit to show up in our lives. Because, God, I, I, I have been convicted like never before in this season, that we, we, me, start with me, God. We, we too often live like pagans, and yet we say that we're filled with the Spirit of God, but we don't love like Jesus loves. We, 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 we trigger everything that happens to us that doesn't make us feel valued or doesn't make us feel like that we, we're the center of the universe. God, forgive us, we pray, and help us to love our enemies. Help us to not make our first response to talk to everybody else about people who antagonize us, but to fall on our knees before you and begin to pray so that what's wrong in our heart gets set right so that we can really tell if it's the other person's problem or ours. Oh God, we we ask that you help us truly be a church that is for our communities because we follow Jesus. And we're trying to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect in how we love and how we serve and how we give. And that means we do that for everyone because everybody matters to you. God, convict us to the core of our being, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.